You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Thank you, I guess. I went for the wireless mic because I talk with my hands and I hold the microphone, then I feel like, so you're going to get stereo today. You're going to get two hands, all right? So a little free. Hopefully you can hear me better. Um, I'm going to ask you a simple question. Three words. Are you satisfied? Now you start thinking about it. You start thinking of all the areas of your life, your job, your family. Are you satisfied? Now, we see that word a lot. And I've seen it more in the last few years than I've ever seen it. And it's usually in a survey after you've had some kind of service. And they send you a survey that says, were you satisfied with the service? All right? Even Chili's restaurant has the kiosk at the table. All right? You know the kiosk. There's menu items. You can play games if you leave your phone in the car. There, you can pay the bill. But at the end, there's a survey. And the survey says, are you satisfied? We were slightly satisfied. A little satisfied. Very satisfied. Right? Satisfied is a pass-fail. Either you're satisfied or you're not. It's like the word pregnant. Either you're pregnant or you're not. <laughs> you ask someone, are you pregnant? They don't go, well, I'm slightly pregnant, a little pregnant, very pregnant. <laughs> they, that doesn't happen. But satisfied is either you're satisfied or you're not. So that's where we start. Now, being satisfied... It's almost un-American because there's a billion-dollar industry that has to make you dissatisfied or discontent with what you have so they can move you to another product. So you're bombarded with dissatisfaction and you're bombarded with discontent. And we've all fallen for it. I've fallen for it. Okay? And I'm, okay, let's, let's be honest here. Let's get real. How many people had a perfectly working good telephone that you loved? and you went and got another one. Because somewhere, somehow, someone told you that this one wasn't good enough. You were not satisfied, you were discontent, and you went for the new phone. Right? That, that's discontent to move you. Now, like me, how many people after three months wish you had your old phone because you worked it better than you worked the new one? <laughs> Show of hands. I mean, I mean, it's like, still, I'm still trying to figure it out. I love my old phone. But that's just products. That's just upgrades, a new washing machine, new car. What about being satisfied with the big stuff, like our job, or our relationships, or our home and our neighborhood where we live? What about our church? Does discontent come in there? We're going to look at discontent, and I've asked Helen to read for me scripture today from the Bible. And it's a very common, if I said the title of it, you'd all already have your mind figured out and you know the whole story. But I want you to listen to it, and then we're going to walk through it a little bit to show where discontent came in. Luke 15, 11 through 32. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. 
And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed his pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older brother was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what this meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Amen. Thank you, Helen. Going back to verse 11. The second son asked for his entitled inheritance. It was his. He just didn't have it yet. I think when we look at the story, we want to kind of paint the picture of the second son being not such a nice person. You want to give attributes to him that you don't have, so therefore you don't put yourself in that story. You want to say, like, well, he was greedy. He wasn't greedy. Because a greedy person would have stayed home and worked real hard for his dad to build up that fortune, so then when he got his share, it was worth more. A greedy person would have stayed home and spent the money while he was still there. You see, he was the younger son, the older son gets a double portion, and the younger son gets the other one. So he gets a third. So if he was really greedy, and he spent $300 while he was at home, he was spending 200 of his brothers and 100 of his. But when he takes his money and goes out and spends $300, it's all his money. So he's not greedy. Okay, was, was he angry? Was he mad at his father? We want to make him an angry person. We want to put these attributes on him so that we don't look at us. So what was the rush? Why did he have to leave? He was discontent with something going on. He was discontent staying at home. Discontentment drove him out of his house. It pushed him. 
And you say, what, what, how do you know? You'll see, discontentment pushed him. When discontentment shows up, some things happen. And two things mainly, and Ian put up the first slide. Discontentment shows up, there are victims or casualties of discontent. Things happen. First thing that dies is trust. When you're discontented, you're not trusting the situation you're in. Now, everyone has a different d definition of trust. I've got a pretty simple one, and it just is, we don't see the bigger picture. We don't see the bigger picture. When you don't see the bigger picture, you have to trust. Because if you could see the whole picture, you're not trusting. You have all the information you need, and it's no, you don't need trust. I know everything. But when you don't know everything, that's, that's, I like analogies. Let's keep it simple. You're going to take a vacation with your family. You're not driving. You're going to fly. Trust is a tremendous thing that comes up in your life to get on that plane. Because you can't call United Airlines and say, I'm going to be flying this plane. Please send me the pilot's airline records to find out who's flying my plane. Oh, by the way, FAA, could you send me their maintenance records on this plane so I can get all this information? And while you're at it, let me know who's working the control tower so that we don't crash into other planes. You can't do that. You can't get that information, so you trust. So when you don't see the bigger picture, you have to trust. And when you have discontentment and you don't see the bigger picture, trust dies. The other thing that sacrifices is patience. Now, when you're moving in your life and you're discontented, you, you would think, well, naturally, patience. Yeah, that, that's, that's a problem. But my definition of patience is not waiting. My definition of patience is aligning our timing with God's timing. Because when God wants to move and you're still waiting, you're not being patient, you're just waiting. So it's, it's getting the timing right. The Israelites in the wilderness, you would think they were patient, but they weren't because God wanted to move into the promised land and they didn't go at God's timing. So there was a disconnect and they weren't patient. They didn't trust God the first time, they weren't patient, and you saw what happened with them. So patience, aligning our timing with God's timing is difficult sometimes because we don't know God's timing. We, we just don't know it. So we have to accept and be patient. I'm going to try to stay within my, my area. You know, it's okay to have visions and goals that you want to move towards. God gives them to us. So being satisfied is not being stuck. I just want to get that out. When I say, are you satisfied? Oh, I'm satisfied. Yeah, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not doing nothing. I'm satisfied. That's not what I'm talking about. We're talking about right now, this day, are you satisfied? It's okay to have goals. Stuart, come here. I've asked Stuart to help me out with something. And you have to see how discontentment can kind of get involved in your life. Stuart, stand over here. Stuart, you're there. God wants you to go over there. You know that. It was confirmed by witnesses. You have a vision for what God wants for you. You know for you, you and your family, that's where you're going, right? But you're not, he's not trusting God. And he's getting a little impatient. Discontentment. <laughs> discontentment gets into his world. Now, Stuart, he's on the edge of a circle. 
He's looking to move toward God, but now discontentment's here. Discontentment's in his life. All right? Now his life catches up to him. Here we go. Still going that way. Discontentment didn't push him away from where God wanted him. So in our minds, we say, well, that wasn't bad, right? That wasn't bad that discontentment just pushed us along. That's what happens. Discontentment, it's still here. He's still not trusting. So, Stuart, stop there. <laughs> Psalm 37. The steps of a righteous man are ordered. You missed the step here, Stuart. You missed that one, too. His word is a light onto my feet. He doesn't light up my goals. He lights my feet. You missed this step. Hey, Stuart. God's going to give you what he wants here, but you're going to learn here how to handle it. Your wife is going to learn here how to handle you handling it. <laughs> Your kids are going to learn here how to handle it. All these things along the steps. The elders read a book. Thank you, Stuart. You can sit down. That's the way. I asked Marcella if I could push him around. She said it was okay. She does it all the time. <laughs> no, okay. The elders read a book this summer by um, Eugene Peterson, and Eugene Peterson quotes an author, and the author just says, every step and arrival. And that was like, wow, every step matters. Don't, discontentment will shove you out the door. It will push you past the things you have to learn. Every step and arrival. What's God got for me here? What's God got for me here? That's why you trust him that, you know, what I'm doing right there, I'm supposed to be there. I can be patient because I know I trust him. Discontentment will push you out the door, shove you along. Did it to the, to the prodigal. These are see bad examples. These are see what I did to Stuart. I'm going to give you an example. Church is so easy to show you what not to do. I'm going to give you an example of how to do it right. There was a young man in this church named Billy. God put a call on his life. Billy, I want you to be a pastor. And that call was confirmed to many people. And Billy did what was right. He went to the leadership and said, I feel this call in my life. And they said, okay, we'll work with you. And we'll help you on that call. He trusted the leadership. It wasn't very long after he knew he had a call in his life that a church called. He said, we need a pastor. We hear you got somebody who's going to be a pastor. So they wanted Billy. Billy trusted the Lord. He trusted leadership. He didn't. Very intoxicating to be in a position where you have a gift that you want to use. There's a need. So you think that God put those two things together. And then the people love you. The social acceptance. It would have been so easy to just go. It's God. Go. But it wasn't. And because. Because discontentment, they're not going to be dead at home. We have Billy as a pastor. And I know, and we all know, that if discontentment was in Jacqueline's life, Billy would have been gone. Thank you. (laughs) 
So the prodigal gets shoved out of his house with his, with his entitled inheritance. Gets pushed out the door. Now we see he didn't learn anything. Right? He goes to a faraway country, squanders his inheritance. He didn't learn wisdom, didn't learn how to handle it, didn't trust his father to teach him how to handle it, and nothing. He just out the door, squanders it. Famine comes into the land. Now he's got to eat. So he hires himself out. That's another key. He was not a lazy person. We want to say the son was lazy. He wasn't lazy. He hired himself out to a person in that country to work. A person put him out in his field feeding pigs. Now, this is interesting to me because you tell a story to Jewish people about feeding pigs, and the Jewish people realize you are a long way off. You are far, far from where you're supposed to be. All right? So that, the Jews got that right away, that this son, he was hopeless, he was gone, dealing with pigs. Then he realizes, my father's servant eat better than I do. Maybe I should go home and ask for a job. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to go home and ask for a job because I'm hungry. So he humbles himself while feeding the pigs. That was the point of humility. And leaving and coming home. We think the interaction with the father was the place where he humbled himself. He had a journey all the way back. On that journey, he had to go, man, I know I messed up. I, know, I, I can imagine what he's going to say. I know all these things. But he still came home. So <laughs> this is where uh, you're going to have to help me along. He decides to humble himself and come up the hill. His father sees him from far off. Now I'm going to stop the story there, and I'm going to put myself in the story. I'm a dad of 35 years. I'm going to put myself in that story. My son wanted my money. He's entitled to it, but he didn't want my relationship. He wanted my stuff, so he left. And now he left. Things didn't go good for him. Yeah, I get it. They didn't go good. That's okay. Hey, hey, he's an adult. He made, his, he made those decisions. Up to him. Now I see my son coming back. You're dying as a father to say those four magic words. I told you so. You live for that moment when you're a dad. When your, kid, when, your kids, when your kids mess up, and they know they messed up, and then they come home, and you're like, oh, they know that they messed up. Here it comes, I told you so. That's not how God does it. I'm so glad God's ways are not my ways. So God, the father there, runs to the son, doesn't wait for him to walk up to, to assess whether he's really humble. Doesn't wait for all those things that I probably would have done. Doesn't try to measure anything. He runs to him. He says three words. I love you. We've all had that happen in our lives. We've, when we come to the Lord, before we can even say we're sorry, he throws his arms around us and he hugs us. 
before you even get an opportunity to speak and say, Dad, I messed up, before you can even say that, he says, I love you. My kids are listening. I'm going to do better. I have to. Because I love my kids. So, God, he hugs him. The son says, forgive me, Dad, I'm sorry. I sinned before heaven and I sinned before you. And when that happens, the coat, the ring, the sandals, come on. That is our salvation story. The first time you came to the Lord, it might have been in the church, it might have been anywhere, it might have been just sitting in the chair. You came to the Lord before you said a word, He loved you. Before you said anything. And then you proclaimed Him as Lord and Savior of your life. Now you're in the family. Just that simple. That, it's just that simple. And we, we have to do the same thing with people who come in through the door that we don't know. We're trying to make him part of the family. No, no, no. We don't make him part of the family. We love him. When they get the revelation of who God is, Jesus, now they're in the family. You don't get the cart before the horse. Don't sign your name on the line without those other things happening. God loves them before they say a word. And when you understand how God feels about them, how much more can we love them? It's very easy for us to do that. All right. That was the hard part for me. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for putting up with me. <laughs> I'm watching the time up there, and it's not going as fast as I thought it was, so that's okay. <laughs> uh, it's interesting, after they um, do that, and he puts the ring on, they have a party. And everyone focuses on the party sometimes. The parable before it was ended, the last verse, in 15, verse 9, is another celebration in heaven. The angels celebrated. So there are parties over stuff like that. Jesus liked to have parties. Don't feel bad when you have parties. People like to have parties, and you're going to find out something else about those parties in a minute. I got a question for you. When they killed the fattened calf, to have a party, whose calf was it? Ooh. Everyone says the father's. You have to remember back in verse 10, 11, father had two sons, and the son wanted his inheritance, so the father divided it between them. So when the younger son got his inheritance, the older son got his inheritance. He just didn't go anywhere. So the older son, being the older son, he knew it growing up, he had duties to the family. And tradition was that he got a double blessing of the inheritance. He got twice what his other brother did. And the purpose of that is they didn't have Social Security. They didn't have retirement homes. They didn't have all those things. And the family took care of the parents and the grandparents. And maybe the widows. Maybe the family had to do all that. And who did that? The older brother. He kept the family business going to take care of everyone else. So he got the inheritance when his younger brother got it. It was his. But dad was still living at home. He still honored his father. Dad could do anything he wants. 
So it's interesting when the brother's out in the field, he hears about the celebration, and he's a little upset. He's not upset because they took the calf. You know, he didn't say, no one asked me if they could kill that calf. This is my calf. No one asked me permission to do that. The father just did it. This is something God showed me. Everything that older brother had, he got from his father. And God took something back. Everything I have, I got from my father. He can have it back anytime he wants. I want to be that guy that says, I don't care about my stuff. But the older brother, he was more concerned with the relationship. He's like, you know, Dad, you didn't do that for me. I've always been here. You didn't do that for me. So the older brother kind of got the relationship thing wrong. He was right in a lot of areas. He missed it there. I love it when he says, your son threw away all this stuff and I'm on. And then the verse says, your brother who's come back. And he put the two back together again. The older brother and the younger brother. Whose fatty calf was it? The older brother's. And he had no problem at being used. God's going to take stuff out of your life to celebrate what's going on in their life. Did you ever think about that? Now, we all think of possessions. It might be time. It might be relationships and emotion that gets pulled out of our life for someone else. God gave it to us in the first place. You know what? It's all his. He can do whatever he wants. We have that attitude like the, like the older brother, and we're always with him. We'll get the other things right eventually. <laughs> like the relationship with your younger brother. Okay? Here's another thing. Three people, the father, younger son, and the older son. I kind of touched on all three characteristics. You should be able to see yourself in all three people. I said, well, let me think about that. You should be able to see you broke relationships with people and with God and went out on your own. And when you came back, that's how God welcomed you back. You should see yourself as the older brother. When he confronts the father, he says, yeah, but you've always been with me. I can relate to this. I've been in church all my life. And sometimes you feel like you're taken for granted. You've been there all the time. New people come, they're here a year, year and a half, and, and people are excited about And you've been here for 35 years, or 40 years, or 50 years, and you get that older brother syndrome. It's like, you didn't throw me a party, and I've been here all along. <laughs> I'm telling you, it can happen. Be careful. I'm talking from experience. Be careful. You do not want to be there, but you want to be on the other part of the equation where it says, you were always with me. And I always want to be with him. And it's easy to see yourself as the father. Because we've all had relationships broken in our life. Where people have hurt us. Discarded us. Didn't want anything to do with us. And then we have an opportunity to see him. And we think, well, if they just ask for my forgiveness. Or if they just acknowledge what they did wrong. Or if they, all these things. No, we have to be like the father. Throw our arms around him and love him. Just love them. Let, let everything else come afterwards. Just don't worry about it. Rebellious kids, just love them. 
family that you haven't seen, sisters that live hundreds of miles away and you haven't talked to in 10 weeks or 10 months or 10 years. When you get that opportunity, don't miss it. Just love them. Throw your arms around. Just love them. That's, so all three characters, we're there. And it was going to happen. And when it happens, you're going to think about what I just said. And you're going to want to get it right. And that's a good thing. You know, discontentment, it seems kind of hopeless. Like we have no way of um, fighting it. Like it just creeps in. And put up the slide. That's the casualties of discontentment. Next slide. That's actually our weapons to defeat discontent. The things that die when discontentment's there are the things we use to keep discontentment out. We trust. Now, trust is, is difficult because we don't see the whole picture, right? We don't know all the information. It's difficult to trust. It's difficult to do things like that. Trust is a choice. I will trust in the Lord. People don't pray, oh, Lord, give me more trust. No. God just says, do it, trust. But it's hard. I've never been down that road before, God. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what's going to happen. There's a verse for you. It's a verse for me, too. Let me find it. I wrote it down. Psalm 119. 167, your testimonies to the Lord are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. His testimonies. You read his word, things that he's done. When you see what he's done in the past, it's easy to choose trust. But more than that, this room is his testimony. Every one of your lives are his testimony. The story of Pastor and Jacqueline staying here, that's my story now. That's our testimony. And our testimonies are great, and my soul keeps them. You come in here, and you, you, I, can, I can never trust the Lord for me to buy a new home. You know, it's too big. I, I, can't, I can't swing it. I, I don't ever see myself doing that. There's a few people here you need to talk to. They'll show you how God has provided. You come in like, you know, I know my, my, my child's sick. I don't know if I can trust him. Let me introduce you to Phil and Natalie. Trust. My kids are rebelling. Just about every family here could, could help you out with that one. <laughs> I'm serious. It's, we, we, we think it can't be done or it's never happened before, but it has. God's done it, and it's a testimony, and his testimonies are great. And I love them, and I hold them in my heart. So it's easy for me to choose trust because I've seen him do it before. So I choose it. And I'm not going to be discontent from where I am because trust is going to destroy that. Now, patience. Patience is different. Patience is a gift. You get patience by being near the Holy Spirit. We choose trust and we receive patience. We receive love, joy, hope, all these other things. But patience, if there's no patience in your life, you've got to get close to the Holy Spirit. You've got to have more involved with what's going on. That's where your patience comes from. Again, aligning our timing with God's timing. That's where it all comes from. It's not about, not about just waiting. The Holy Spirit will help you. And that's a gift. And it's a gift that keeps on giving. What's this? 
It just keeps on giving. The Holy Spirit's going to give you patience. And you're like, well, Lord, I don't want patience because that means I'm going to go through a tough time. No, it doesn't. But it means you're going to have patience when you have to go through a tough time. And when you get to that time, you say, I will trust the Lord. And I'll have patience. And discontent is not going to shove me around. It's not going to push me around. It's not going to cause me to miss anything that he wants for me in my walk with him. I'm not going to let discontentment push me around. That's my goal. So, trust and patience. They can either be victims or they can be weapons. You get to choose that. They're either victims or they're weapons. I think they're weapons, so we need to exercise more. So, are you satisfied? Now you're like, oh, you gave me something to think about. Are you not discontent? Oh, I don't know. Are you satisfied? Tough. It's tough to put it all together. You know, misery loves company. You've heard that saying? Well, discontent people tend to find each other, too. So if you feel like you're being around a lot of people who are discontent, do a self-check and make sure you're not that kind of person either. And then have this for them. Help them to trust. Pray with them that they would have patience. Right? We, we, hey, our lives are like living epistles. People are drawn to our life. But like I showed Stuart and his goal, I'm not drawn to Stuart's goal, I'm impacted by Stuart's life. Right? Where's that? We all have goals, we all have dreams, what we want to do, and that doesn't, impact, that doesn't change my life. But you guys being here this morning, worshiping with me this morning, that, that has an impact on my life. So your life is what has an impact. And this is where this whole message started from five months ago. I heard a song, and there was a phrase in the song, and I'll tell you, I, once, I can't even understand the song. I know who the artist was, The Temptations. I like The Temptations. So they had a phrase in the song, and it just caught my ear. I was like, wow, I never thought of that. So I, I due diligence, I wanted to investigate the song, and the writer, and the author, and whatever. Well, I found out the phrase, was a pretty famous phrase by someone. You can put it up, Ian. Bob Marley. <laughs> live the life you love. Love the life you live. That got a hold of me. Do I love my life? Yes. Am I living it right? Hmm. Am I, li- am I in that moment? of where I am. And then when you're in that moment, do you love that life? It looks, it's like, it's like, oh, it's a cute phrase, it's a catchphrase, but there's so much truth in that. Live the life you love and love the life you live. Living and loving. Does that sound like Jesus? Does that sound like the cross? He loved us so much, he went to the cross. He died, but he rose again so that we could live. Love, living, living, and love. It's amazing that we come back to the cross and we come back to his table all the time. And we can. I'm not discontent. I'm right where God wants me to be right now. And I trust him for everything he's going to do for me today. Today. And I'm going to be hearing what the Holy Spirit says about waiting. Lord, you got to talk loud sometimes. But 
I'm going to be listening. And I'm going to try and do better. And I'm going to live this life that he gave me, and I love it. I love it. And when you do that, your family will love it. Your friends will love it. Hey, parents, your kids know when you're discontent. They know that. They can sense it when they're little. If you don't love your life, they're going to pick up on that. We're going to have a tough time convincing them that there's a life here that they should be in love with. Let's pray. Lord, I am so grateful that you don't leave us alone. Lord, I'm so grateful that you talk to me. Even when I'm not even prepared to preach, Lord, you talk to me. And then when Pastor asked, he said, talk about that. Lord, I thank you that you give us the ability to trust you. You are trustworthy. When we think about, I don't know if I can trust God, it's amazing that we would actually consider that you are not trustworthy. But Lord, you are trustworthy. You are worthy of all our trust. And to that, we say thank you, and we put it in you today. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you every day. We need you every step of the way, every walk, that we, every step we take. We need you. We need all your gifts. And Lord, we need that gift of patience so that this discontentment doesn't push us around anymore. And we love you, Lord, and we love the life that you have given to us, and we love you for everything, and in everything is you. And to that, we give you all the glory and all the honor. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle Podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.